0: You're listening to Voice Memos, the show about two longtime friends who have informative yet brief discussions about multitudinous topics. If you want to go deep into a topic, this is not the podcast for you. We keep it shallow. Now, please welcome your hosts, Jen and Myron.
1: All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to our faithful listeners, our social media followers, and our lovers and our haters. We made it to 2024, y'all. Like, we made it. And 2023 was not an easy year. I mean, the, it was easy in the sense that we didn't have to deal with um goddamn Donald Trump as president. And it was easy... You know, we didn't have yellow the Yellowstone volcano explode and wipe out, you know, half the country or something like that. But it was hard in other instances in that, you know, the geopolitical world is, as always, uh, in a state of shambles. Um, There seems to be more um, COVID, Floating around. I think it's like a winter kind of thing. Or maybe it's not winter, but maybe it's just that it it went. Maybe went away is not the right way to put it. It went down. But it seemed to have a little spike. Um, but you know what? I am of the mind that when we make another year, it is okay to celebrate. And that's why, you know, like I was watching uh, well, let me take a step back. So Jennifer's not here today. Jennifer had a business trip, and she was like, you know what? I'm not going to be there. And it's at the last minute, because she does things. She plans things all in advance, right? All her, she plans, like you can start really small. Meals, her workouts, and then get to like bigger things, like going out with her, uh, going to her families, being with their family members. And then being with her friends and maybe dates and then her vacations, like she is playing. She is a creature of routine and habit, right? The foods, uh, when she shops, she does her bills, how she cleans, how and when she cleans, it's all very structured and organized, so the fact that she told me the day before that she was going out of town and she wasn't going to be able to do the podcast, I was like, motherfucker, you did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, she did it on purpose. So you know what? Hate the game. Don't hate the player or something like that. So anyway, she took a train trip to the coast. And if you haven't been on um, one of the Amtrak trains that go to very nice places, like you know, Amtrak crosses the country, and you you go through some desolate land, right? Empty, desolate land that on its own can be very pretty. But sometimes, like I've I've done it exactly one time on Amtrak. Uh, my uncle and I we we took Amtrak from Chicago to California, and when you get out of Illinois, you're just going through like the desolation of America. It is nothing out there. Now, I'm not saying that it's not pretty, but you go through a lot of, like, crap towns and just ugly, ugly landscapes. You do see some beautiful landscapes, but, man, I tell you, it's it's rough. But if you're in California, you take Amtrak up and down the coast, you can see some beautiful sights. Now, there's also, you know, you can see some crap channels as well. But you get near that ocean and then those mountains, the redwoods or wherever, and it can be beautiful. You're one of that, I'm that California Zephyr, you know, and you get a nice little seat and everything. And, uh, you know, the viewing is fantastic. So I'm happy for her. That's a great trip for her. I'm not taking any trips. So I'm sort of living vicariously through her, her Amtrak trip right now. So anyway, we made it to 2024 and speaking of celebrating, you know, we took the time to watch the um, Times Square New Year's Eve on CNN with Andy, I don't know that guy's name, he's the Andy guy from Bravo, that guy and Mr. Um, Vanderbilt, uh, Nepo Baby, Anderson Cooper, um, because, you know when they had Don Lemon and the three of them would be there and they would all just be drinking and reveling and just having a great time. That was sort of fun viewing because it was unpredictable. It wasn't scripted TV. It was unpredictable. They let their hair down um, and they just sort of riffed on things like you would do at a, um, uh, a New Year's Eve party with friends. You just sort of riff on things and you could take a moment of just, you know, not being burdened down with, Politics or even relationships or bills to pay or promotions at work, you know, backlog at work or whatever. You just took a couple of hours to just chill and be around other people who wanted to chill. And you didn't really have to be overly concerned about their, you know, their politics or whatever. Just have a good time. And those three gentlemen were very good. I mean, they would get drunk and they would say things. And for American TV, it was risque. And I say American because you can go to many other countries and uh, TV, whether it's local news or scripted programming, is a lot more what we would call risque, but it's just the norm. There's nudity. Um, things are just dealt with more up and open, but the repression that is America, you know, if you have these men on TV, uh, drinking and making jokes about mayors and, you know, the absurdity, uh, you know things in America then you know people got mad and then Don Lemon got fired and then not for that but Don Lemon got fired for being an outspoken person and then um they just tamped it down last year and it just became another standard network or cable network TV boring rocking New Year's Eve. they I mean go gonna have Dick Clark roll him out of the grave and have him do it again so it was boring but this year it looks like they did have them drink or allow them to drink, their liquid was clear, you know, I guess they made certain of that, but, you know, clear liquid could be anything. So, and they did seem to be having a good time. And as they went to different areas of the country, they had a group in the Bahamas, they had a group in Austin, and then finally a group in LA, you know, they seemed to be having much more fun um, because they were drinking. Not that you can have fun when you, Not drink because I don't drink, and I still have fun. However, the the um, the fun of that program was seeing them just let their hair down and not hair down and not be so stuffy as corporate people will be. So anyway, it was very good, Um, and I was wondering, you know, because as I said, they went to the Bahamas, they went to Austin, and this was the CNN show. And they went to Los Angeles. But then there was another show um, uh, in Nashville. I don't, on, 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 I don't know if it was probably CBS, because they, they, they skew older and more white on CBS. So there's probably on CBS, they did the Nashville. But then there was like Ryan C- Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve with Ryan Seacrest. Because apparently Ryan Seacrest has to do everything. And, you know, they were in different cities and stuff. And then what what I was wondering was so all these musicians, right? These singers, they all pop up at these events, they're on stage, to give their little number, and then you know, they're gone, or they're in concert and then the show cuts to them for you know their their popular song or something. Um, and that was what they do the wonder if the artists, if they like that, like do you usually get a call from your agent or your record company or whomever and say, Hey, we booked you for Dick Clark's rockin new year's Eve. And you're going to be um, at the palladium in Salt Lake city. Like what the fuck? And I, how do they do that? Or are you already on tour concerts or are you already like, if you're in my room five, cause they were, I saw them, they were in, in the Bahamas where well, they already booked for the Bahamas and then, and then they say, okay. Well, since you're there, we're going to be filming there. Let's do one of your songs there. And as an aside, Adam was sounded terrible. <laughs> he sounded terrible. I can't remember the song that he was singing. It was one of their popular songs, but it is. But you know, I sort of get the benefit of that because you're standing outside. The wind's blowing. The salt air is everywhere. You know, you got your little headphone on, and he doesn't have the strongest voice. He has a club voice. I mean, he should be inside of a club. You know, a hundred, a few hundred people, and you know, speaker. ever his voice can do that. But an outdoor stadium, he just has a little headset, and he just does that little falsetto. You couldn't hear nothing, and he started off tuning, and he never got it back. So, you know, but you know, that's not hard. that's not easy to do. But I just wonder how they decide you know, who's going to show up and who's going to be where and everything. So, anyway, it was a good New Year's. You know, we made it through. Congratulations, you made it through. Some people do New Year's resolutions. I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. I just, you know what? I want to, you know, live my life as best I can, be happy, be with my family and loved ones, write some books, do some stuff. And you know what? I mean, but if that's the resolution, that's res- those are resolutions. But if you have any, drop us a line uh, whenever you like. And we'd like to... Um, here, I'll ask Jen next week if she has any resolutions. Cause she's like I said, she's real well planned. She has her stuff dialed in and she may have Jen works out twice a day. Like she's that person. She works out twice a day. So and she has a very deliberate eating schedule and all this kind of stuff. So she probably has some kinds of um some kind of resolutions or anything. So as we just take a look around, you know, what's happening in the world. Um I am really I'm really exhausted with with wars. I'm exhausted with the war in between Ukraine and Russia, uh, the war in the Middle East, uh, between um, Israel and uh, Hamas, and all the other little groups that are trying to get their shots in, the Houthis from, I guess they're from Yemen, Iran, supplying the Houthis. There's some Syrians. You know, this um, some people in the Gulf—I don't know where they were from—try to fire in some some ships or something. And they got blown out of water by the U.S. Navy, um, and then of course, what's happening in Sudan, Rwanda? Um, there's just that stuff is exhausting. And then you go, "Well, is it?" This is the kind of question Jennifer lights asks: Is it privileged to say you're exhausted? You know, no, no, and yes, Like, as one person out of 8 billion people on the planet, we don't have any power. We don't have any power. I can't stop the war, any of those wars, right? I can't stop any of those wars. Even when I vote every four years in the general election and every two years in whether state or local elections or whatever, it I you, you can't change things immediately. That from a political standpoint, that us as individual voters, we could change things over the long term by consistently voting one way, and doing that slowly changes the political landscape, which can lead to different political outcomes. But it's, it, it 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 just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, one great there's a lot of great examples, right? You could talk about you know black people achieving you know, freedom and independence and then the right to vote, the right to work and so forth and so on. You can say the same thing for women, getting the right to vote, getting um, the right to work and getting a salary is not equal, but getting a salary, you know, all those gains and we have to call them gains. They, They should, they're very basic, right? Life expectations, but we have to call them gains. All those things took years and- you know, as President, former President Obama used to say, the arc of justice and arc of, you know, good things happening and so forth, um, it steadily bends in the right way. But it takes a long time. And that's, sometimes that's important. A lot of times that's unfortunate. But, um, so yeah, it, it is a privilege to say you're exhausted with these things, but it's, a, it's also very human. It's very really human, I think, to say I'm exhausted with, you know, the wars and things that I cannot affect In my day-to-day life, I cannot cannot affect my day-to-day life. And even if you're, um, you see those people those pro-Hamas, people protesting around the country, trying to shut down bridges and airports and eateries and stuff like that, Hamas has turned down the last two or three ceasefire proposals. Like, your protest isn't doing a damn thing. is not doing a damn thing. So, you know, I'm exhausted with it all. And I hope it. I hope they all get resolved uh, soon enough and spare some lives so that the, the innocent people and civilians are innocent, even when civilians vote the wrong way, right? They're still innocent from militaries and stuff, I believe so. Yeah, that yeah, was a little bit heavy. So, okay, let's get out of that. So I've been watching a lot of sports. Because football has been on TV, and because you have the college football bowl games, and of course the NFL, and then and uh, the NBA is going on. But the college football bowl games are really interesting right now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we don't talk sports too often in here. But if you don't know, in college football there's what's called a bowl system, and so these bowls are that you have a you have a, you have conferences of teams with. Who finished the season with you know winning records? Then they meet in a game, and that game is for the last hundred plus years has just been a game of pride. Meaning, you know your your LSU and you win your you know enough games, like six or seven games, and you get to play in a game against a team that you probably wouldn't ordinarily play from a different part of the country. So you would play like, let's say, let's say Kansas or something like that, right? And you would play at a neutral site. And so you it wouldn't be a home game for either team. You'd be at a, a distant location and that that stadium, that game would be called a bowl game, B-O-W or a bowl game. And that bowl game um, would be sponsored by a company originally they were just sponsored by an industry like wherever you were so if it was in texas it was called the cotton Bowl, it's sort of funny or in florida the orange bowl or, in, or in, uh, anaheim la is the rose bowl you know it was these big regional kind of games and they were fun you had a lot of sponsors the players, their families, their fans would travel to a location and you just show your school spirit. And it was all just for pride. If you wanted, you didn't win it. The school didn't win anything. It was just it was just for fun and pride. But that system had been in place for over 100 years. And as a matter of fact, that's where the NFL, professional football, gets its name, the Super Bowl. Because they were saying that back in the 60s when the Super Bowl started, was this would be the biggest bowl. It's going to be super right? A Super Bowl. So that's where that comes from. It comes from college college football. So anyway, some years ago, they started selling the sponsorships for the bowl. So it, it went from being just a, a Rose Bowl to a state farm sponsored Rose Bowl, stuff like that. And then the sponsoring, it didn't get more uh, absurd. It, there's just, it's sponsors. So you would get something like the Pop-Tart Fiesta Bowl. You know, just weird stuff like that. So, you know, people have fun making fun of that kind of stuff. and you still do because these bowls are weird. So you have, at the end of the college football season, you probably have now maybe 40 bowls or something like that. So all these games. And then maybe 20 years ago or something, college football decided, hey, let's create a playoff system like they do in the NFL, right? Because, in college football, your pride is that if you're ranked number one, but the ranking is just a committee of just a committee of white guys who decide that this team is the best team or that team is the best team. That's all it is, right? It's all made up. It wasn't decided on the field. It was decided in the boardroom by a bunch of fat, oh, a fat headed, you know, cigar smoking, whiskey drinking guys who are mainly from the south, right? Old school American um, patriarchal racism kind of shit. So they decided we'll have a we'll have a playoff system like the NFL and decide the winner that way, who will be ranked number one. So they implemented a playoff system just barely. You would just have four teams, but those four teams were decided by this same group of people. So they oh, we'll expand it, to, you know, maybe six teams or something like that. So they've been doing this the past few years. So it is, it is still controversial because you still just have these men who pick the ultimate teams that's going to be in these games. So all that to say, this past New Year's Day, the two big bowl games, one was the uh, Cotton Bowl, which is played in the Dallas Cowboys football stadium. And then the other was the Rose Bowl, which is played in the Rose Bowl in of for Anaheim. And it follows the Rose Parade and all that kind of malarkey. So you have the four chosen best teams. And then all of them were good. It debated what they were the best for, but it doesn't matter because that's who it chose. So you had Michigan versus Alabama in the Con Bowl, I think it was. And then you had uh, Texas versus Washington in the Rose Bowl. So Michigan was undefeated at 13 and 0 versus Alabama, who were like 12 and 1 or something like that. And Alabama has one of the most national championships over the past 20 years or so, They're just a juggernaut because there's so many great black athletes in that state, right, in Alabama, that um, all those wealthy white guys that run the Alabama school and the boosters and that supply all the money, they do not mind paying for black labor. It's historical. <laughs> they want to hire them after, after the season, after their college career is over, but as long as they're making the school money. So anyway, So there's Alabama playing Michigan. And that game goes into overtime. It was a great game. goes into overtime. Alabama kicks a field goal. Misses a field goal. kicks a field goal in overtime. The Michigan gets the ball. Michigan scores a touchdown. And they win the game. So Michigan goes to the National Championship game and in the season that their head coach, Jim Harbaugh, was suspended for three or four games because he had, he had got caught cheating last year or the year before that or something like that. So so remember that name, Jim Hall. So then in the California Rose Bowl game between Washington and Texas, they went back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, Washington seemed to have closed it out with like a minute to go. But then Texas gets the ball, scores, gets the ball back, and they actually have a chance to win the game on the last second throw, for just like 20 yards to touchdown. I didn't even score a touchdown. fourth down, like a second to go or something crazy like that. And they don't get it. The guy in Washington knocked the ball away. So in the natural championship, you have Washington versus Michigan. Or as I like to say, the weed-smoking blue states of Washington and Michigan, weed is legal and people have more fun, beat the southern repressed states where weed is illegal and people have less fun, Alabama and Texas. (laughs) And so, but here's the opportunity we have. The coach the head coach of Michigan, the cheating one who got caught and suspended for three games is Jim Harbaugh. His brother is also, I don't know if his name is Jim Harbaugh, too. I don't know. They, they seem like they're both named Jim Harbaugh. So let's just go with that. So the, his brother is the coach, head coach of the professional Baltimore Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens right now, with one, seed, one game left in the NFL season before the playoffs start, they are favored to go to the Super Bowl because they have the best quarterback in the league, Lamar Jackson, right? So, and, a, and a, uh, an above-average defense, you know, a um, a generational quarterback, an above-average defense, and a pretty good offense, right? And a, a really good head coach because he's won a Super Bowl before with this team. So there's the possibility that the national champion coach and the Super Bowl winning coach are going to be brothers, or are brothers, but the brothers could win the two major football championships, and that that'd be really interesting if that happens. So we're a long way from that, but they're both in the mix, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. So that uh, that's enough sports. Okay. Um. So we are today is January fourth. Thursday, January 4th, and then Saturday, we're going to have the the infamous anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, the uprising, right? And what that was, um, and I'm sure I'm sure listeners know, President Biden won the election by over seven, eight million votes. Like it wasn't even close. It was it was it was it was, it was a rout. Right. As they say in sports. But Donald Trump and his team had long ago decided before the election that no matter the outcome, that they would do two things. They would say that they won. Right. But even before the outcome was known, they would say that they won. And then they would say that the election was stolen. Right. They would say they would go with both. And they did all that from November. You know, we knew that we knew we knew we knew President Biden won. um, The night of the election. And we knew for certain um, he won, him and he and Kamala Harris won the day after the election. Um, But Donald Trump's team decided that they weren't going to leave office. So from November, the first time this ever happened, right? Maybe since, maybe going back to the Civil War or something like that. Um, after the election, Donald Trump and his team decided, nope. They didn't lose. So we went November, December of him and his team saying, not only did they not lose, they weren't leaving this. And then as his, his people, and we got to be very clear what these people were. These were Steve Bannon, Jared Kushner, um, a lot of Harvard-trained lawyers, um, Ivy League lawyers have plotted, really, instruction. It's a coup d'etat. It's taking over government. Right, They had pl- plotted and planned it. And so when it came time, he never conceded. He never thanked the um, incoming president. All those precedents that have been set through the peaceful transition of power is what, is what uh, we call it in this country. He just ignored all that. And then on January 6, his, his followers have been rallying themselves to get to the Capitol and force um, the Democrats out of office and forced Donald Trump back into office. And um, if you were in the country, you saw this on television with your own eyes, you know, 10,000 people took over the Capitol. And think about that for a, minute, for a moment, because you know, you're you talking about one of the most guarded places on the planet, right, in Washington, D.C., where Congress is. And so those are like the representatives and stuff. And they took that over because they did not want Congress to certify the election, uh, it's the final part of the election. You have you have voters vote. You have the states submit their vote results. You have um, the states assign their electoral votes um, to the candidate who wins. And then you have that actual, it's a very old system. You have that process then going to Congress because the states present that information to Congress. Congress then says, yes, we've received this information. It's Very formal and we certify the selection, and this is the winner, this is the loser, so forth and so on. They had decided they would stop that process, and if they stop that process, that means that Donald Trump can remain president indefinitely. And they stormed the Capitol, and they, and they breached the doors, and we have a video of them breaching the doors, the Capitol Police being overrun, injured, trampeded We have a video of Congress people, Democrats and Republicans and Republicans hiding and running for their lives and calling for help. And we have video of Donald Trump and his uh, advisors and family partying, Mm -hmm. just watching it all unfold, plotting, being happy that everything that you were taught about American exceptionalism and everything you were taught about the strength of American democracy and the future of the country, everything you were taught was tossed out the window because we got to be very clear because a significant portion of the population and of white white men and white women did not want that to happen at Donald Trump's behest and encouragement and they took over the Capitol. Now, we also got to be fair that there were also Latino people there there are Asian people are there. There are Black people are there. But 90-something percent were white people. Right? White people. And they they stormed it. And they endeavored to... They had hangman's nooses. They had uh, zip ties. And they planned on killing people. And they got in. They ransacked Congress and the uh, offices of various Congress people, particularly the women. Uh, they stole things. They spread shit on the walls. They waved the Trump flag inside the Capitol, not the American flag. Right. And finally, you know, the hours of watching this and, the, and watch, having the world celebrate the demise of America. Because remember, if America falls internally, no one's coming to help this motherfucker. No one. No one. No one. So, We all saw it unfold and then after months and months and months of hearings and data gathering and analysis, the justice department started bringing charges and arresting people. And I I believe they have arrested um, somewhere around 12 to 1500. They sentenced a few hundred and as an aside, The sentences haven't been long enough at all, long enough at all. And they have not arrested, charged, arrested any of the leaders. They've they've gotten the ground troops. So we'll see where where that goes. So Saturday is the infamous anniversary of that national nightmare, that national nightmare. So I don't believe that there will be a replay of that. But I don't doubt that if you are an online person, you're gonna see that shit online. Because in polling right now, Donald Trump's people and and Republican people have gone so hard in trying to change the history of what we all saw. So that a significant portion of white people now poll say that it was the FBI, it was an inside job, just like they do for 9-11. They made up all these other things, even though our we know what our eyes showed us. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on January January 6th this year. Hopefully, it's nothing. Um, but like black people like to say, stay woke. Right? That's so that's that. So let me see, what are we watching this this week? I am watching. I saw a great series on Netflix. Um, it's the it's the new eight part series Harlan Coben mystery. Um, wow, I've already forgotten the name. I'm, I'm going to look at it up while, while we're talking, but it's a it's a eight it um, it's a eight part series on Netflix. It's called Fool Me Once. He's a writer, Harlan Coben. And you can see his series on Netflix. He has a couple of series on Prime. They're, They're floating all around. So he writes murder mysteries, but he writes them. They're very layered stories. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Like most murder mysteries, there's a main murder, right? And you get to know the characters surrounding murder. So... You know, the, the principal. So whether they're husband and wife, in-laws, co-workers, or something like that. And then you don't know who did it, obviously. And then as the story expands, all the people all the people that surround that murder, he does it in, he writes it in and they and they film it in layers. They're connected to the murder, but you don't know how. And it's slowly unraveling all the different Interconnections, right? It's like that guy Steve Kornacki on CNN. He's drawing these lines everywhere and everywhere, and you don't know how all these things are connected and how they all play out. But slowly, because yeah, um, we're you, you follow one of the one of the um, protagonists, right? One of the main characters of the story. So you're viewing the story through their lens, and you're following their confusion and as they're trying to figure things out and. It it, it expands from the center to the main people. And you start going out further and further into all these interconnected parts. And every step of the way, there's a surprise, a twist, a shock. And um, he takes this one to the very end. It's very good. So, And and, and it's British-made TV. So there's a different flavor than... American-made murder mysteries. It's just a different flavor. The pace is different. Um, the acting, the acting styles are different. And um, they're very good. So this one, this one, this one is um where I, I highly recommend it's called Fool Me Once, and it's on it's it's on Netflix. Um, the finale of, you know, we talk about these real housewives things sometimes. The finale of the Real Housewives in so I like City in,
0: Ooh,
1: Doug, it is a doozy. It is a series changing finale. And it now it makes sense of why the show spent the past four episodes, maybe five episodes. On the girls' strip. you know how these shows they always have a girls' strip somewhere, just so they have more drama somewhere in a beautiful location. So this group went to um, went to the Bahamas, and as is typical for all, it all hell breaks loose, but there is a shocking revelation. And you know what? These shows always try to have some little cliffhanger, you know, some kind of little, little deal like that. But this one is good because. It involves the world outside of the show. It involves the show from prior seasons, and it was just like holy moly! So, um, I wait. I wait for Jen to see it, and we can talk about it on here. So I won't do any spoilers right now. Uh, but it's it's, whew, man, it was really good. Um, and then the new. I just started the new season of. Fargo. If you haven't watched Fargo on Hulu, I highly recommend this series because there's probably four seasons or something like that, and it all comes from the movie. I don't know if you ever saw the old movie Fargo. Um, I think the Coen brothers made the movie. Well, this, And it's just about some gangsters in Fargo, North Dakota. I think that's what Fargo is. You know, just an ice cold place. And then it's just a lot of mayhem around them, you know, Crazy murders and stuff like that. Well, then the series goes back in time to, you know, the first season, some original gangsters in Fargo, like maybe, maybe the Irish or something like that. And then it goes, you know, the next season, you know, some years later when the Italians take over. And then after Italians take over, then Black people take over. And And it's just mob kind of mob might be the wrong word, just kind of. Game kind of kind of stuff, but not even I don't even know just criminal, not gang criminal. There you are, criminal stuff. And it, and there's a lot of interconnectedness with the stories and the people, and eventually everybody dies like that. <laughs> yeah, people get shot man. That show and they do it in a, it's 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 both drama, but it's not really comedy. But there's some absurdity to it. I I would say so. The new season of that is out. And it's it's just it's just entertaining. Like it, it's entertaining stuff. Um and then the other thing I'm watching is, you know what? That's gonna sound sort of retro, but we decided to watch some episodes of Family Feud with uh let's take up the mustache name. Steve Harvey. Man, that's Steve Harvey guy. Whew. Um the show I just like it. I used to watch it as a kid. I thought we gotta watch the show. So it's the exact same show. You know, the family, you gotta guess how people pulled and stuff. And I was thinking okay, Family Feud's been on since the 70s, right? Maybe the mid to late 70s or something like that. And this is 2023, 24. And they survey people. Or these shows and they show these shows you know five days a week I seem like I should have been surveyed by now. like they have so many survey questions I should have been surveyed but then I start thinking well maybe they get a volunteer to be surveyed and they ask that person a thousand questions I don't know like how are they getting these answers who are they surveyed who are they surveying like, have you ever met anyone who was surveyed by the family he like, I'm 59 years old. I've never met anybody who said they were surveyed by Family Tree. Like, anyway, and they don't want enough money on that show. But um, well, speaking of uh, Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey, along with Cedric the Entertainer and a couple other uh, comedians, really got put on blast by the comedian Cat Williams. Now, if you don't know Cat Williams, Cat Williams is uh, a comedian. And Cat Williams is a comedian in the vein of say, Richard Pryor and George Carlin, that he has very well thought out social commentary. And in that social commentary, he sees the absurdity of things. And from there he pulls his jokes. Right. And so his jokes are not one-liners or gags or anything like that. They're deeply thought out uh, situations and jokes. And I think personally, I think that Cat Williams does what Dave Chappelle thinks he's doing. Right. Um, so anyway, Cat Williams is is a deep Comedic thinker, a deep thinker who's a comic is a better way to put it. So he did a sit-down interview with Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp has a podcast. So he does little interviews and stuff. And Cat Williams riffed on, you know, the, the comedy game. And he put comedians on, he put a lot of comed- comedians on bass And one part in particular, it's a it's a long interview, and it's a very entertaining interview. Um, but in one part of the interview, he talks about joke stealing. And he talk, he calls out specifically Steve Harvey and Cedric Entertainment. Entertainment and, and the receipts are there. And it's just really interesting, you know, in that industry, how guarded that is. How your routine, your setup, your your joke, and that's a very simplistic way of putting it can be stolen because you're doing these things in public and in the world of stage performers and comedy. That's like the moment sin it's telling someone else's material because material is hard to come, right? It's hard to come by. And a lot of material, particularly Raquel Williams, observational that. Here's something in my family. I observed. And here's something in my community. I observed. I was at this place. I observed this. And he talks about the absurdity of those things or the fear of those things, the um, the happiness of those things, the sadness of those things, and you know, the full range of emotions, but he pulls comedy out of it. Um, and I can see why those things are guarded. And so that is comedic plagiar- plagiarism. And now I just connected that to how we had this huge kerfuffle with Claudine Gay, the first and only, and maybe only ever, um, Harvard president, black woman, only in a job six months, and some right wing people got after her. They said that she, she plagiarized some um, part of her dissertation or some of her writings, and she therefore she should be fired. But what they really were mad at was that she's a black woman in that job, right? And what started it all was that universities, it particularly, but not exclusively, but particularly Ivy League universities got caught on the carpet because they were not vocal enough and action-oriented enough in protecting the Jewish students from pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas protesters and agitators and aggressors. And when called by Congress, hey, they shouldn't have gone, but when called by Congress to, to answer questions about it, all of them gave very mild and meek mannered responses that were legal leaks so it wasn't their own words but they were they all went with prepared statements that were written approved, fine-tuned edited done by their legal departments because they have to stick to, um, the legal side of things, in talking when they're representing the university, it's not their personal opinions. They're agents of the university, the board, and so forth, and so. But in so doing, that all the professors looked, and it was a trap. It was a it was a Republican trap because they knew they could only answer one way, and so, they had them on tape, equivocating and not being forceful enough in saying, uh, they support. You know, they're Jewish students um, and they're off for safety and so forth and so on. And so once that finished, the conservatives, of course, they didn't go after the white ones. They went after one black lady because they hate black people in power and they hate black women in power even more. And at first the board supported her. And so the Republican, the Republicans, the conservatives. They just pressed their attack. They got their attack in the mainstream media. Finally, it became untenable, and actually, it became untenable for her, for mental health, her safety, because she was getting threats across the board. And, and the Harvard finally admitted admitted that. However, she she stepped down. She's still a professor there and so forth, but she's not the president, right? Because because those people think, and those people are the white people who want her out of office. They think that every black person in any position of power got there and didn't earn their way there. That's what they think. That's what they think. And so they said, oh, she plagiarized some work. Now, now, all throughout her career, and even with the Harvard Vetting Committee and Hiring Committee, everything was explained, like low level, maybe a miscitation or something like that, a misquotation or something. Everything that was okay with them. And so one of the, man, one of the main guys it turns out today, his, uh, his wife is a professor at MIT. And you know once she started throwing stones, uh, they looked at her writings and like, oh, my God, look like she plagiarized a bunch of stuff. So one of the main guys writing op-eds and trying to get Pauline Gray out of office in, in Harvard, his wife, she they got caught plagiarizing. And then one of the other guys who was big on Pushing, he, he got into a media, little peanut guy. Looks like his resume is a lie. He tried to say, he graduated. He, he was a Harvard graduate. That motherfucker went to a Harvard extension school. You do that stuff online, sit in a coffee shop, eating eat a donut. Right? So now this is what happens. Right? And there was a professor at Stanford. He got cop plagiarized. So you could go around the world of academia right now and you can d- start deep diving. And finding a lot of these people are not legit but the one they will go after right is this black lady so i just find it interesting that we have this plagiarism issue surfacing in the news in academia and you have a play a comedic plagiarism going around in the world of comedy cat williams and so i guess the lesson from all this is a, hey, don't lose your voice, right? But just make sure it is your voice. <laughs> don't sell anybody anybody else's work. And I was telling I was telling tell my partner about this because you know I write, and I write, you know, uh, essays, opinion pieces, and I write books. And one of the things I do when I'm writing books, and I and I, I I did this naturally, but it was reinforced from my editor that when you're writing book don't I don't like to read anybody else's work because I don't want their style of writing to seep into mine like I can read when I'm not writing a book but when I'm writing a book I don't want to read anybody else's thing Particularly, of course I'm not going to read anything in the genre that I'm writing right Um, but I just don't like to read anything because I don't want because it may just be a phrase it could be anything I want all my things to be original, so um, but then I'm not the president of Harvard. I'm not a, I'm not a stand-up comedian. Um, Yeah, those, those stories are, whew, there's something else. So anyway, we're going to wrap up. If you like our show, I think we're going to show, we said we're going to do 100, and we're probably at about 88 or so, and we're trying to decide how far we're going to go, because we're enjoying it, and I think we can get to 200, so Um, i have no problems committing jen's time because what the hell she's playing out she can plan out it's not really that big of a deal um but share us put us on auto download rate us uh, give us your feedback you know in the show notes or if you follow us online all of our social media handles are online Um, i'm on twitter threads and spotable the most um and Jen is mostly, uh, I don't know what, just mostly on Instagram, I think, mostly on Instagram. But I pop in on Facebook sometimes because I have family there and they just will not leave that place. Um, but mostly Twitter, Spotable, and Threads. Um, Spotable is the most congenial and nicest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Threads is good, it's a little clunky, but it's good and getting better. Um, and there are, just watch out for that. There's a growing little army of bots and trolls over in threads. Uh, and of course, you know, there's a lot of garbage and crap on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is like the trailer park. It's like the dump. If like you go to the dump, it's just all kind of crap there, but you might find a good engine one day or something. Um, so, yeah, find us in any of those places and shout us out. Love to hear from you. Hope you have a great uh, first week uh, 2024. Happy New Year and we'll talk to you soon. Peace out.
0: Love this podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Visit the episode description to find out how you can connect with the hosts on social media. Voice Memos is a production of Dear Dean Publishing all rights and trademarks reserved no portion of this podcast shall be reproduced commercially without consent